This is Abroad in Education, a podcast where I unpack the international suitcase by focusing on EdPats and their experiences within education. I'm your host, Tiffany Lachelle. All around the world. I want to start this episode with a clip from a dialogue between James Baldwin and Margaret Mead because it correlates with the discussion that I have with Brian Cadogan, this week's guest on the podcast. Take a listen. I would say this of black Americans is the risk of having chauvinistic. And, and even knowing what I know, I've watched now for 22 years, I've watched black Americans, you know, Americans abroad. And on balance, I really have to give the, uh, give the black American a kind of accolade in spite of all his hang-ups and all his, you know, and all his pretensions. Because sometimes, and very often, and, and more often than happens with white people, a black American will find himself, let's say, in Milan or in Rome, you know, or in Turkey, and will really be curious about the people. Most white Americans travel in a kind of uh, plastic case, which is designed to prevent anything from ever happening to them. <laughs> you know, but a black American will very often, more often than a white American, I don't, I don't say always, really try to find out what's happening with the people. He'd be curious and try this and try that and drink something awful tasty. But he will really, you know, and the people respond to him differently than they respond to white Americans. We're both exiles. But we have, no, I'm not an exile because I'm an American who goes abroad. I'm not an exile. Well, I am an exile. But I was an exile long before I went away. Because the terms, this is the point, the terms on which my life was offered to me in my country Weren't good enough were entirely, no, not good enough, entirely intolerable and unacceptable. unacceptable. Right. My country drove me out. The Americans drove me out of my country. The discussion between Baldwin and Meade connects with the theme of Brian's story, which I also describe as, my country drove me out. Brian is a school counselor at an American school in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, and he caught my attention from a Facebook post he shared about an incident with the police in the United States, which followed him to the UAE. In our discussion, he talks about his journey about becoming a counselor alongside simply being a black man in America. I don't see police officers, but best believe it causes trauma when I've gone back home and I hear a siren. Because that's like, it's like, it's not even white noise. It's the soundtrack of the United States for a black man. Uh, Here, uh. it's not, you know, I'm hearing birds. I'm hearing the wind blow. I'm hearing the waves. It's it's totally different. Without further delay, here's my conversation with Brian. So funny enough, um, I'm actually going to start off with a quote. Okay. Oh, perfect. The quote, and I just opened up the book, as you saw. There are no shortcuts to destiny. You have to pay the price to get there. And that is a great segue into what I will be conveying in this conversation in that I am I am fortunate enough to be here in Abu Dhabi. I'm fortunate enough to have had experiences in many uh, places, many states in the U.S. that have led me and guided me here. Um, where I'll end up, I, I don't know. This isn't the last stop on the ride um, is just one of many um, but I am not I'm in a place now through age that I'm not angry I am I am I'm fortunate I'm fortunate in a lot of ways because my experience as a black male educator counselor whichever way you want to look at it right. have 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 guided me to where I am, but it's also opened up opportunities for people who I counsel, people who are close friends and family who um, never 
have known that you can go overseas to be an educator. Um, and funny enough, everything is falling into place. And, and that's, that's the story that I'll be telling. That's the story that um, makes it real for me, even though there were bumps in the road plenty of bumps in the road in times where I wasn't sure. Um, it still allowed me to make it to where I am and um, I'm, I'm happy, I'm good. I really am good. Um, so I've been in the UAE, Abu Dhabi, for, what is it, five, six months now? and. It has broadened my horizons. Thank you for opening up mm -hmm. with uh, kind of sharing your intentions. And um, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the podcast because um, I, I previously had an interview with um, your colleague, Nate Bowling, mm -hmm. and... Um, of the black man. Right. Yeah, I call yourself cousins. <laughs> and um, I had a conversation with him about his experience being here. And in the conversation, he mentioned you. And it was, it was interesting how it all connected because I had previously read a Facebook post that you basically put out there talking about a situation that you were dealing with here. And when he mentioned you, he mentioned you as a colleague. And I was like, oh, show me his picture. You know, I've never met you before. Show mm -hmm. me his picture. He's like him. I said, oh, that's the guy from Facebook. I was going to get in touch with him. And I like to say that, you know, the first, you know, couple years, novice years is the honeymoon stage of being anywhere. And I think your story is going to be interesting because you're still in the honeymoon stage. Like you said, you've been here six months. Yeah. And it's been an eventful six months. <laughs> More so because of what goes on in, in the world and being in Middle Earth, as I like to refer to the Middle East. Um, yeah, yeah. You're in the middle of everything that goes on. So yeah. right now, as you know, we're in the middle of being out of work for four weeks due to the coronavirus. We were, prior to this, we were kind of on a somewhat of a campus lockdown due to the issues with Iran. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's been, it's been a worldly experience. It's um, having to work the skills that I have in a different capacity. Um, and I'll speak about this more. Being in the United States is not um, a paradise. So a lot of what I'm dealing with here is just using everything that I dealt with on a national level, on an international mm -hmm. level, with me not feeling like I am being victimized in any way. It's like, oh, wow, okay. This kind of reminds me of home, except it's more on a global level. Yeah. And at the same time, not being the one who's being persecuted or um, victimized. So it's it's funny and it's it's cool to sit back and watch and recognize that the lessons or the information that was shared when I was living in the United States is totally different than the world that is actually outside of the United States. So it's yeah. it's calming in a lot of ways like, oh yeah, I've dealt with this being back home. This isn't much. You know, it's it, there are parallels. I won't say it's exactly the same. Um, but there are definitely parallels like, oh, there's no need to worry about this. Like, I'm not going to, I can't stress over this. It's not, yeah. it's not affecting me directly. And it's interesting because I, I'm thinking about, as I'm, I'm listening to you talk, but I'm thinking about how um, Americans have this way of thinking that America is the world and everything around it is extra. And being on this side of the world we are realizing, or let me speak for me and not mm -hmm. <laughs> generalize, but it's interesting to see how the States is, I would say, I mean, I keep saying maybe a month behind, but, but they're at least two, three weeks behind the scare that's already been implemented here. Mm -hmm. So redirecting flights and, you know, all of this different stuff like you're talking about with the coronavirus. 
and now you know schools shutting down and having to go to remote learning and and as i'm watching schools get prepped and implement and you know make these contingency plans as far as how do we keep people from people for mm -hmm. a little while the states are just now starting to have the conversation about infected people right not not even talking about schools it's don't leave the states like that's the narrative don't travel cancel the study abroad trips cancel the conferences but not on the same scale that's happening here yeah and i, I i'm a strong believer that a lot of that ties into the united states is a capitalistic society yeah um it's not exactly for the people nor by the people it's by the dollar so when you're talking about human beings that's not a priority it's how the money is going to be cut or how it's going to cause so many so many people with financial who will could potentially hurt financially they're the number one priority back in the united states hence it's a capitalistic country um, so yeah, I, they're going to have a difficult time with this because you will have to decide what's more important, the humanity of people or the bottom dollar. Mm. So we'll see how the United States, know, good luck y'all. I know. <laughs> good luck. Um, and it's funny because I'm like, this clearly has nothing to do with what, what the story that you're going <laughs> to share. But I'm like, it's Well, maybe it does because we're talking about humanity, the way that yeah. people are treated in order to then recognize and have to leave the country in order to realize that, yeah, I know I was treated differently yeah. for whatever reason. Um, and there were hoops and hurdles that were put there purposely. Yeah. But outside of the United States, those, the, I don't deal with those things. Yeah. So it's yeah. A, a greater peace that I, I'm, I'm concerned that Humanity will still be forgotten back in the States. Yeah. And this will hit them a lot harder than it will hit us here in the Middle East or anywhere else that actually puts their people first. All of the people. So let's start talking about you. <laughs> yes. No, it, it is good because I'm, I'm just like, it's, it's, it's heavy. It's a heavy conversation to have. And it, I think especially, you know, um, in the label of an expat or edpat as i refer to us um it's not that we're so we we are disconnected in distance but our families our loved ones mm -hmm. are you know every everything that makes us a majority of who we are um so it's heavy kind of having that conversation um when you have loved ones back there. Yeah. yeah and i'll be on my way back in a minute so <laughs> <laughs> Not to stay, but, you know, another year. So, um, you know, I kind of focusing on or at least getting into your story. Mm -hmm. I know as people hear your voice, um, folks are not going to believe that you are from New York because you don't sound like you were from New York. <laughs> but starting with where you were from, mm -hmm. New York, give us um, a little bit about, you know, what was your experience in New York and then kind of run us through um, your decision in higher education? So, I was born on a late evening <laughs> in, in October in um, Brooklyn, New York. Um, lived there for a while, and then my family wanted to live the American dream, you know, the house and the picket fence. So, we moved to Long Island. Um, not long after that, my brother was born, and I spent my formative years through high school in Long Island, New York, um, in Nassau County, which is right outside of um, the borough of Queens and Brooklyn. Um, from there, I applied to Hampton University and to Towson and to um, George Mason University. I actually had an offer to NYU, but my counselor was not a counselor who um, projected or gave opportunity to everyone. Um, so that's kind of how, what led me into the field I'm in. 
the school district was not an affluent school district. It was in Long Island, but it wasn't one of the, the larger school districts. So a lot of the money was based on every year we would have to go out um, and really go knocking door to door to make sure that we had a budget in order to supply for sports, for books and things to that effect. If yeah. not, we were on austerity and parents would have to pay or we wouldn't have those sports. So those are things that we had to fight for on a yearly basis. Um, there were basically color lines that we lived in. There was the black neighborhood, which was Lakeview, and on across Ocean Avenue, which was the main street, was Lindbrook and Malvern. Um, so there was segregation, go figure. Um, right there in New York, the haves on one side and the not haves on the other yeah. other side. Yeah. Um, so you learned very early about um, inequality. You learned very quickly, um, not experiencing it on a level of you're black and you can't you can't have this. Um, more on a level of institutional um, mm -hmm. racism. Um, so growing up in that environment, um, you you recognize differences very early as far as where your friends lived um, and the how can I put it the things that were afforded to you like we had a basketball court right across the street if you want to go roller skating you had to go to the other side mm. um, so activities that were beyond your normal or your regular outside park were not in my community Mm, okay. You had okay. to go elsewhere in order to have that. In fact, we, we were unincorporated on the black side of town. So we didn't have a zip code. So we didn't have a post office. So we had to go to other areas to get those things. Oh, wow. Um, and this was, I mean, 80s, late 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're not talking about that long ago. <laughs> we're talking about... Fairly recent. Well, not yeah. recent, recent, but you know. Us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to age myself. Right. Right it's, it's like last, yesterday to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, my counselor wasn't uh, aware of how his influence or his potential influence could have affected a number of students um, and where they went. Um, Yes, I had a mother who went to college, um, went okay. to Morgan State University, but my dad was an immigrant um, from Guyana. Okay. Um, he went the vocational route, made great money, and had a great career as an electrician. Um, and that was pretty much the threat in my household. Oh, if you're not going to do school, you're going to be an electrician. So you knew immediately, oh, I don't want to be an electrician. Oh, that was, it was frowned upon, you know, <laughs> coming up in any industrial time where technology yeah. was important. So yeah. you're like, oh, I want to go to a place that has all this technology. I don't want to be working and getting dirty and stuff. If I only knew. <laughs> so, um, as I said, my, my counselor didn't, I pretty much figured out what college I wanted to go to based on where my friends were going. Okay. And based on the idea that, oh, technology is better. So I got accepted to George Mason. I got accepted to Hampton. Hampton, as you know, is a historically black school. Um, so as I said, I got accepted to both. But instead of going to Hampton, which I always had my heart on, heart set to, um, I decided to go to George Mason. Um, mm -hmm. I had a friend who went to George Mason. George Mason had um, air conditioning in their dorms. George Mason had um, jacks in the room so I could hook up to the internet Hampton. And, and I'll explain even deeper how real that was, where that was that was a come up for me. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that was a huge come up, like central air. I was the first person in my immediate family to have central air. My mom's house doesn't have central air. So oh, we wow. in the summer times, it was fans and stuff like that. 
So to go to a college that had central air, I was like, oh, you big time. You're doing it. Goodness, goodness. Okay. So once again, these are the type of things, the hardships that you, some people have that I had and were somewhat blinded by and, and kind of led down a certain path because you think there is greater value mm-hmm. um, with these fancy things such mm-hmm. as central air. Um, so went to George Mason. Um, college was somewhat of a breeze. I, I did enough to get by or I did enough to keep my parents off my back yeah, yeah. Um, in high school. Um, college, I knew I had to turn it on. Um, we were paying big money because it was an out-of-state um, public school. So turned it on, did fine, but a lot of the things that I was somewhat sheltered by living in New York showed up when I was in Fairfax, Virginia. Okay. Um, the direct racism, the where are you coming from, campus police and county police going through your, your pockets when you walk off campus mm. um, to catch the metro to go into D.C., a lot of that um, really took me back, took me back to like, okay, this is 1997, 1998. Like, why, like, how do I fit the description? I just got out of bed. I have coal in my eyes. I'm, I'm on my way to class. What, where do you think I'm coming from? Yeah. All the freshmen lived in what was called President's Park. So that's where I was coming from. I wasn't coming from anywhere else. It's my normal walking route to class. So after dealing with that for pretty much the second semester of the year, and mind you, I also started the NAACP um, college chapter at George Mason. So oh, wow. I probably had a target on my back. Right. Um, <laughs> stirring up trouble. Stirring up, right. Because, <laughs> I mean, my mom was very active in the NAACP. I was also um, active in the youth council back in Lakeview. Um, with my friends, so it was something that was comforting, but also natural. And being in a traditional white university, um, there were inequities that I saw. So, yeah. with a group of people, with the help of um, the leadership, um, Michael Tapscott, who was um, worked in minority affairs, and um, Dr. Benson Cook, who um, is my mentor even to this day at, um, from George Mason, they helped me get the charter in order to start the NAACP college chapter at George Mason. Um, After starting that, as I said, things kind of got hot and Mm -hmm. I decided I was going to transfer. I wasn't going to stay at George Mason anymore and transferred to Hampton, historically black school. Ironically enough, there were a lot of old school experiences or there was a generational gap um, I remember many a times where the dorm director, because I had to move into the dorm as a new student on campus, even though I was a sophomore standing, I had to stay in a freshman dorm. And the director of the dorm would come in and say, oh, you keep, your music is too loud and threaten to take my speakers. So oh. being, one, a New Yorker, two, oh, wow. <laughs> two I wasn't a little freshman, like I didn't. I'm paying good money. This is a private school. I'm still paying. I'm paying a little bit more than I was at George Mason. To have someone threaten me to say that, I was, once again, a s- smart ass. I'm sure I can't <laughs> curse on here. And I would say, go ahead and take my speakers. I'll call the campus police and you can take them when they get here because oh, wow. you're not taking my, my belongings. So a lot of the... I looked at it as the racism... I was still dealing with racism, but it was from my own people. Mm, mm. It was like, you're going to do what I said, boy, type of mentality, which I wasn't going for because I already struggled with the traumatic situations that I was dealing with at the white institution or the traditionally white institution and recognizing how even though I was shielded, I was seeing it a lot more as I got older. Yeah, it's um, like that keep it in line. Like, yes, I'm here to keep you yes, in line. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, went there. I can't say that my experience at Hampton was the best experience. I, I um, moved off campus, and it was really about doing my time, getting in and getting out. Graduated, graduated early. I moved back to New York where I started working on my master's in school counseling. Um, I 
graduated from Hampton, Hampton. with um, a psychology. Um, went back to New York, um, moved back home. That was a struggle in itself. I'm sure most people can understand that. Finished at CW Post, Long Island University, with my master's in school counseling. Was optimistic that I could find a job because I never really saw a black male counselor, school counselor. Mm -hmm. So I had this vision of what counseling was because of my experience um, in high school and I knew what I could bring to the table and could not find a job in New York. Yeah. It was, I I was so, let's say, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed that it didn't bother me as much because, once again, I had a vision of what I felt counseling was and what I could provide for high school students. So I applied to New Jersey, I applied to Connecticut, I applied everywhere. Funny enough, I applied to a school in Illinois, Mm -hmm. um, Evanston Township High School, Mm -hmm. and they flew me out there, so I was feeling real fancy. Right, you got flewed out. Yep, got flewed out. Um, And it was a marriage made in heaven. I was there for six years. Um, I was under great leadership. It was a great community. Um, Before we sit in Chicago for a second, let's go back because I think one of the reasons why I think your story is interesting is because it's similar to another story. Um, I interviewed Johnny Jackson who wrote an article about being a black male um, in South Korea. Mm-hmm. And he was basically talking about one of the factors that you know impacted his, his decision to go to South Korea was because he had difficulty finding a job in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, as far as you saying, you know, you just graduated, you're ready to go into the job market, you know, you're in New York, you're looking for a job and can't find one. How would you describe what your job search looks like? Like, what are you actually doing? So in my my vision of what I felt schools were, I also wanted to relate it to what I was somewhat familiar with. Mm -hmm. So as I said, I was, most of my time was spent in Long Island. Um, So I knew all the schools in Nassau County. I knew the schools in Suffolk County. I don't recall if I really applied to many opportunities in the New York City public schools, Mm -hmm. um, just because that wasn't anything that I could really relate to. Um, And those odds were just stacked up against those students. Mm -hmm. And the counseling department, where you're talking about you have 400 kids on your caseload, like, my God, how is that truly counseling? Yeah, yeah. so I, I feel for the people who are who have those positions, and I feel for the students also because you you're you're going in limited, and all the money is given to your your top schools, and where the numbers are smaller when you have maybe fourteen counselors in a school, and the neighboring school that might not be looked at as an A school won't have as many. Yeah. So yeah. The, the disparities were ridiculous, and being new to the profession as a whole, that was something that it, it, it was totally the opposite of what I envisioned counseling to be. So yeah. I didn't put myself in, in that but pool. See, I, I think that's interesting because it's, it's a little different from the narrative um, of what, I mean, whether it be a counselor or whether it be your peers, right? When it comes to graduation, um, it's like, just go get a job. Like whoever's gonna hire you, get one. And for you, it's like, well, actually, I had standards. I wanted to go in knowing that I can make an impact. I know that certain schools have this type of reputation and, you know, this type of issue that as a first-year counselor, all of this education that I'm coming with, I don't want that. Like, I know what I want, so I'm going to, you know, be intentional about where I apply because I have a particular experience I'm looking for. Right, and I had two additional years. So I did my four years of college or three, whatever. And then I had to do two additional and even to even get my foot in the door. So Mm -hmm. you have to have a master's in the United States basically to be a school counselor in a public school. Um, So because I had to go those two additional years for my master's during Mm -hmm. that time I was working on my master's, I was also working within a school. 
I was working in one of the most affluent schools in Nassau County where I was good enough to be a paraprofessional and a substitute teacher. But when it came to, oh, you want to be here full time and guide students to colleges? Oh, no, no, we don't have an opening. Mm. So the narrative was was in the background, but it wasn't anything that I was focusing on mm-hmm. because I was still going through the motion of getting my credentials, having that you know certification in the state of New York. But you know, looking back, it is quite interesting how you're good enough to work and help in a menial way and not trying to put down substitute teachers or paraprofessional, but they put so much onus on I want my kid to go to an Ivy League school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I didn't have the years of experience or I didn't have the the phone number of an admissions officer <laughs> at one of these schools that I wasn't good enough to actually hold that position. Wait, um, is that the counseling game? Like the the bigger your network, the more <laughs> This is the first time I've heard that. To Have... be honest with you, that's a lot of the game, especially as you talk about high school counseling it's who do you know or how what experience do you have getting students into these top level colleges oh wow wow and especially in this international space that makes absolute sense 100 percent. but i have not imagined that in the states i have not it's one in the same wow it's one in the same the only the major difference between a school in the United States and a school international, it's the same clientele in a lot of ways. When you're talking about your private schools in the States versus your private schools internationally, it's a lot of the same clientele. Like the students that we have here, they, a lot of them are embassy. Um, their families work for the embassy. So their parents have, they're, they're well-traveled, they're yeah. well-educated. Yeah. And they want the same thing for their child, and they want the best education for their child. But when families go back to the states, they're not going to, most of them are not going to the local public school. They're going to a private school that would be equivalent. So it's not a question of how much money. It's like, okay, well, I want the best private school in order for the best connections. Because at some level, public schools are kind of poo-pooed on. Unless you can find a public school in the States that has a great reputation. Yeah. And you're absolutely right because I, it, it's interesting how I have like this assumed narrative that public schools is the, the, the American education system. Oh, no. Right? No, 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 no. no. And when, which, when you're saying, yeah, if they go back to the States, they're just going to look for a, a bomb ass private school. Like, yeah, I guess those exist. And of course, I'm thinking about. The Obamas, they're two girls. Like oh. <laughs> when 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 Michelle was writing about having Secret Service at the school, I'm like, well, what school is that? You know, clearly. Oh, shoot. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's all about building that network. I mean, that's the nice way in my mind that I play it out to say, okay, they want to individuals go to Ivy League schools not because of the name, but what the name can then provide for them later on. Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, 100%. You're not just your Ivies, your Dukes, your Northwesterns. These are colleges that cost 45K a year. And they're not giving everyone a scholarship. I mean, the Ivies usually meet you. But these other big names, yeah, you pay in to have connections. And those connections are what most of the time separate your strong public schools from your your Ivy Leagues is all about who you know. Or if you are you in class with a Mark Zuckerberg, or are you in class with Joe Schmo? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's what college in the United States has become. But this whole counseling thing, this is funny because I have looked at counselors as more of emotional, physical, like, Supporters, social emotional. <laughs> yeah, and we and do that, that also, but yeah. most of that is from the stress and pressure that is put on in order to make it into these higher level places. Yeah. So then, okay. So so let's fast forward because you you went to Illinois and you stayed there for six, six years. wonderful years. <laughs> yes. 
And from Illinois, you decided that you wanted to go um, back to New York. So, yes. So after six wonderful years of working in Evanston Township High School as a um, counselor, grades 9 through 12, um, the opportunity to go back to my alma mater um, of Malvern High School in New York mm -hmm. presented itself. Um, I applied for the position. Um, there's a lot of history with my family and the school district. My mom was a board member when I was growing up. In fact, she gave me my, di my diploma um, oh, nice. as the board president um, when I was a senior. I was the treasurer of my class from sixth grade up until twelfth grade. Oh wow! Um, and as I said, I was the, at one point um, an executive on the NAACP youth chapter. So my family, myself, um, well known within the small community. Mm -hmm. um, so to go back was somewhat of a dream. Um, needless to say, that mm -hmm. didn't pan out. I resigned from my position in Illinois. Um, which was a great learning experience. You don't resign from a position until you have a position. <laughs> um, so I did not get the position in my alma mater. Um, it was given to someone else. Um, I was out of work for a year mm -hmm. at that time, which was demoralizing, heartbreaking. Um, plenty of nights and days, like literally crying. Um, because I had uh, a growing trajectory of work. I was nominated for Illinois Counselor of the Year back in Illinois. I was well known within the state and my school, um, graduated a number of students in that, in that period of time, students who had, had struggles, I mean, um, Going back to what I envisioned counseling to be, I was I was doing it, and I was greatly happy, and and once again truly loved Evanston. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be able to provide that back home, you know. So I was out for a year where I didn't have a full time position. Um, I was living back at home. Um, and were you applying for jobs at this point? I ended up. My mom is an executive assistant in a neighboring school, I was able to get a um, substitute position. Okay. So I went from making about 85K to making 125 a day, $125 a day subbing when they needed He's like, not 125,000. <laughs> no, not 125,000. So yeah, I did that for the year. Yeah, we, we got through the year after that. Um, I did find a job in Long Island, and the first school I was working at did not have a very good experience there. After a year of being there, I then went to Uniondale High School, loved working there. It was the first time that I've actually worked in a school that was governed by us, meaning people of color, mm -hmm. and um, working with close to 85-90% of black and brown students. Um, in Uniondale, New York. It was very mm -hmm. similar to the experience I had with the dorm director mm -hmm. at Hampton, mm -hmm. where you, mm -hmm. it was, you get in line. And you said it was predominantly... Oh yeah, it was just black and brown. Yeah. 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 I mean, from the superintendent to the business officer, assistant superintendent from HR, everyone in central office. And this is the first school I've ever worked at that that was the case. Yeah. Um, but it was that you get in line do as I say, doesn't matter anything else. It, it was a hard pill to swallow. And at, at that point, we decided that we were going to part ways because I didn't want to stay there and they didn't want me to stay there. Okay. And I moved to Maryland, where ironically enough, my first year there, I was dealing with a principal who looked like us and was much of the same. So I was very much lost at this period of time because... Everything that I knew, it wasn't based on credentials. It was more based on title and this or is where entitlement. Because like, I, I don't, there's, there's two things that's happening in your story. Mm -hmm. 
in the background, there's this narrative about, like you said, I'm a black male counselor. People are going to be signing up to offer me a job, mm -hmm. right? And this is the narrative that we had. Oh, there's not enough black male teachers. There's mm -hmm. not enough black male counselors. We need more. Recruit and retain more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and you're not experiencing that. And then on the other end of it, it's almost like, like you're saying, the entitlement syndrome. Mm -hmm. There can only be one black man running stuff in here. Like, <laughs> and, and that one black man is going to be me and you stay in this line. It's almost like, yeah, we can make space in education for you to be a black educator, but this you being a black man in American society, no. that's a that's a whole different thing. That's in a addition, title you can't get rid of. Yeah, I, I'm just like, wow. I don't know what to do with it because it's. I don't want to say crabs in a barrel because I think it's actually a little different <laughs> from that. It it it's 100 different than that. What I've recognized upon coming here is that you have to unlearn a lot. Like, what, what's the saying? Just because you have a degree doesn't mean that you are educated. Mm, mm. Um, so basically, you might have, you have individuals who get these titles but don't know how to govern, don't know how to um, do the job that is in front of them. It's almost like you are a, a figurehead, but you're not the one pulling the strings. Your strings are being pulled by a greater entity that, you know, they might give you a, a good salary, you know, provide you with things and yeah. you think you're the big boss. But at the end of the day, you're just another pawn in the larger scheme of things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Ugh. Left. Went to Maryland. Yes. Um, you're in Maryland. I'm in Maryland. I leave from one school and go to another middle school. And I was... My principal there was a Chilean woman, um, once again, working with a majority black and brown students mm -hmm. at a school that really was shunned by the greater district. It was the only school that was 100% bust, where students were driven past two or three other middle schools mm. to come to this school. Mm. Once again, mostly black and brown students. But I loved it there. I absolutely loved it there because they valued what I was bringing to the table, and they, I feel overall they valued their teachers. Mm -hmm. And I stayed there for a cycle. Um, after that third year, I decided that I wanted to see what the world of leadership was like. And because there wasn't any openings at that school, I, I ended up leaving that school and mm -hmm. going to another school within the same county. And this is Montgomery County Public Schools. Okay. I applied there, and I was offered the position of resource counselor, which is the head of the counseling department. Okay. Um, I worked there for two years in a department where I was the only black male counselor. I was the only male counselor. I was the only black male educator in the building. Mm. Very different. Mm. Um, <laughs> and same district. Same district, opposite end. Wow. This school had money. It was a new building. <laughs> The kids lived right in the community. There's so many disparities in the United States that it's sickening. Well, I can only speak to the United States because that's what I'm talking about. And this is a public school. It's not like we're talking private school. Yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. about yeah. within the same district, new school. You have school that's still falling apart to this day, but you still send students there. You have students who live in the community and families who can come and use the fields as they need. And then you have kids who are bust in passing two and three schools, to newer to schools, yeah. to get to. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's a whole episode in itself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we we're getting closer. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. To the UAE. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then and then just just to kind of round this up because I think it's amazing. You have I mean you were in the you worked in the states for quite a few years. So total at this point you're at Montgomery. Total of 16 years because this is my 17th year. Yeah. See, that's so interesting to me. And it's not like you were just like, yeah, that would be something cute to do after graduating from college. It's like no, I have a career no. in the States, but I'm still choosing to do something different. Yeah. yeah. But even outside of school, the, the, the issues, 
the, the problems going on in the United States was becoming a little bit too much for me. As I said, this school was in a predominantly white neighborhood. I started feeling the, the pressure of being a black man in America just weigh on me way more than it had ever before. Mm -hmm. um, to the point where I was nervous about driving into work because once you hit a certain line, and once again, the United States is great for this, you have communities that are diverse and then you have white communities. Mm -hmm. You know when you've made that crossover. It's usually a street. It's usually, you can tell based mm -hmm. on the tree lines. You can tell by the, the light. You can, it's just a very visual representation of change when you're moving through neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. And driving to work, I would wear a shirt and tie to work. Um, but no matter how professional I would be, at the end of the day, no one knew how many degrees I had. All they knew or all they would know of me is that I am a black male. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. So there were plenty of times where I've been in schools where I've had a shirt and tie on. And this was during the time of having walkie-talkies. As counselors, we would have walkie-talkies. And parents would ask me, oh, how do you know my child? Are you the security guard? I'm like, no, I'm not. I am your child's oh, counselor. Goodness, like, goodness, goodness, yeah. I don't even know how you, how you got there. And always having to defend yeah. your position or your yeah. title or your yeah. role because people don't see you. Like, no, how can that be? And I get it. So few and far between. Yeah. I mean, it's 2020, and we're still talking about still trying to get into the door, still trying to get people of color well, into places. Now the conversation is about getting more folks of color abroad. So as more experience comes, yeah, <laughs> more yeah, questions and answers. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I feel in my own personal role that that's definitely what I'm doing because yeah. I've found a greater peace out here that I did not have. In the United States. So, so <laughs> your your year at this predominantly white school mm -hmm. is when my two years there. Okay, yeah. your two years there um, is when this particular in incident happened. So you're giving context as far as you know. There's a line, and you know when you're when you're at that line because you're leaving one particular space and entering another. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you know you show up in a suit, and you've had these experiences um, the being questioned. All overall, I mean, yeah. from Trayvon Martin to you know Sterling in New York, like black males were just not only black males but black women also were just being killed at a clip where it was like you sneeze and you could end up not making it home. So it was just so much weight and pressure to the point of when I decided that. I no longer, I needed a change, I should say. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say no longer. I needed a change for my own sanity. Um, so February of 2018, I guess it was? No, 2019. I have a, a friend who just finished working in Kuwait and moved back to the United States. And he was telling me of his experience and how it was freeing, how he was able to do a lot of the things that he always envisioned to do in counseling back in the States. So he told me about a job fair that was in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So I flew out to San Francisco, um, went to um, an international job fair. Um, Which one? ISS. Okay. This is this is for the folks who would want oh, that yes. information. Yes. So <laughs> ISS um, is, uh, provided great information, a great job fair. Also have my information posted on Search Associates. Okay. Um, so I would definitely put those two which one of the future episodes, we will get a chance to hear from ISS and Search Associates who okay. will come through and talk about um, the business, the organization, the different things that they mm -hmm. do as far as recruitment mm -hmm. and putting people in particular roles into different schools and all that stuff. So we will hear more from yeah. the service that you used. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so went to the job fair, had offers at in Beirut, I don't even remember the school now, but Beirut, Lebanon, and also in Uruguay, and had interviews at ASD, American School of Dubai. Oh, okay. Um, 
get back home, didn't sign any contracts, wanted to think about it, went home, and as I said, my information was posted on these two platforms, and the, my current principal actually saw my resume because they were looking for a 8-9 counselor. Mm -hmm and reached out to me. Um, she's familiar with Montgomery County Public Schools because that's where she used to work before she moved abroad oh, wow. with her family. And then um, another individual, Mr. Abraham, Phil, used to work at Evanston Township High School. Oh, um, so those were the two signs. Girls. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, as I started with my quote of you have to go through certain paths in order to reach your destiny, yeah. it, was, it spoke to me that these two individuals who know the districts that I'm coming from were able to communicate with individuals. Even though I left Evanston in 2009, my name is still positive in yeah. the Evanston yeah. <laughs> community that they would vouch for me and say, oh, I know him, like he's solid, yeah. you know? Yeah. So having that connection, I knew that coming to ACS was the place for me. Yeah. Um, because I knew the type of people that they hired and I knew the type of people who were in leadership um, because of, once again, the places that they've been, which was equal to the places that I've been also. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think this is a good little note that this is why it's important. To not burn your bridges. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because you don't know years later or yeah. who knows who, right? Yeah. Like if you do decide to stay in the, in the education profession. It's a small community. Look, don't escape in the <laughs> night because one person knows another. You need yeah. a reference at school. You know, it yeah. could have easily been like, no, absolutely right. not. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, wow. Definitely. Okay. So then you're offered a job. I was offered a job. <laughs> it was something that I, I had dreams of doing in teaching abroad. Yeah. You know, it's not anything that coming up through any of my programs, it was like, oh, what state are you going to work in? You know, it was never what country. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. to tell the school that I was working and to tell my family that, yeah, I got a job. And, oh, you got a new job? Where you, Where is it? Hmm, Middle yeah. East? Right. Let me, let me pull out the, the map real right, quick. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, and then telling my friends, they're like, what? What do you mean? Like, you're leaving? So... It was, it was a, it wasn't a difficult decision, but it was a decision that was right for me. Yeah. It was definitely a decision that was right for me. And yeah. I'm happy that I'm doing it. I'm very happy that I'm doing it. So it's interesting because you are talking about, you know, this, <laughs> you called it before this rites of passage. Um, you're talking about how you went from one school to another, to another, to another, going through these experiences of you know, getting accolades for this and then being unemployed for a little while. And then, you know, you're looking for jobs and you're in one great school, but then you go to another. These 16 years in the States? Yeah. It's a long time. This is one of the reasons why I think your story is interesting because not only do you have a resume, CV, pedigree behind you that says you are the epitome of a qualified counselor in the States, um, now you're at the brink of getting ready to internationalize your domestic career. Mm -hmm. As you're preparing to get ready to leave the States, you decide it, it's time to be on my best behavior. <laughs> it was, it, it was more based on fear. Once again, I wasn't leaving because I was being kicked out of my position at Cabin John or anything like that. Right. I, I wanted a change because honestly, Montgomery County Public Schools allows you to take leave of absence. So yeah. currently I'm on a two-year leave. So I, when I go back or if I decide to go back, I will still be able to have my position. It won't necessarily be at that school. Yeah. Um, it's just based on where there's an opening. But I still have my title of resource counselor and my good standing with Montgomery County Public Schools. Um, but as I said, the decision to leave was based on wanting a change, but also feeling a, a true fear, like an anxiety was starting to build in me where I would have, my eye would start twitching, where I would start, I would get sick. And I'm not someone who gets sick at mm. all. Like medicine to me is orange juice and some ginger ale and <laughs> some sleep and I'm good. Um, but physically, my body was breaking down. Mentally, I was nervous. My hands were would get clammy. Um, it was just a huge discomfort. And 
it kind of resolved itself as the school year came to an end, but I still had to get through the summer. Yeah. And once again, this is not, I don't put myself in positions where um, they're going to be dangerous situations, but once again, being a black male in the United States for me at that time was, there was, I couldn't change the color of my skin. Yeah. So the option was stay at home, not go to different events and outings that my friends might have or friends, um, other individuals might be having. It was like, let me lay low. Yeah. So I leave Maryland. I move um, home to New York for like the last two weeks before I fly out to come here to Abu Dhabi. I sold my car, I sold all of my belongings because I wasn't shipping all that stuff over yeah. here. I asked my brother if I could use his car to go to one of my favorite slushy spots. I love slushies. <laughs> um, Marvell's in Long Beach. If you're ever in New York, Long Beach has this is, this a is shameless plug. The folks said no, yeah, right? Yeah. Marvell's, oh not Carvel's. Marvell's with an M. Um, I went there on an evening. Got my slushy. I'm driving back. My brother had a Chrysler 300 windows tinted, not a legal tint, but tinted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, I noticed that a squad car or a patrol car is behind me. Now, I'm not breaking the law. I'm not speeding because in the back of my mind, one, I'm in a neighborhood that is not my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, I'm in a white neighborhood. Um, I'm driving a car that is nice. Um, so there's driving while black, which yeah, is something yeah. back in the early 90s you would always hear about. And it's always something that sticks in your mind because unfortunately as a black male, as a black person, there are certain rules that you have to abide by that don't exist for others. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm sure your audience is aware of that, aware of those rules. So once again, not breaking the law, Officer turns his lights on. I get pulled over. I'm questioned. At the end of the situation, I get I get tickets, which require me to then go into court. Yeah. I explain to the officer and call the courthouse, stating that this court date is when I'll already be in Abu Dhabi to start my new career. I write a letter. They give me a continuance. And they set the date three days before I come home for winter break. So I had to contact them to ask if I could get another extension um, or if they could just change the date to three days after when I'm home um, because I didn't want to have to take days off to go to court for this. And I didn't want to miss court because then there would be a warrant and I, you know, they could pull up my information at JFK airport and detain me, which would not have been good at all. And in calling, once again, I'm international now. I don't, my address on my license is not my address anymore. I'm not a Maryland resident. So you mail anything there, I'm not going to get it. So I'm calling and asking for information and the response that I'm getting is, well, we'll just mail it to you. Well. You can't mail it to me because (laughs) I'm not in the States. Yeah. It's like, well, what's your address? I give them my address here in Abu Dhabi. No letter ever comes. I'm still waiting for this letter. Right. (laughs) And if it does, it'll take eight months. Right. (laughs) Right. So I get to court after all this going back and forth. All they do is give me a fine, which if anyone's gotten a ticket before, most fines, you can just pay online. Mm -hmm. This could have been dealt with back in June Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, three, four months later. So had to pay extra because I did have to go in, get to the States earlier. I sit there in court. And even while I was in court, the perception of me was, was, was negative. One, I don't have any priors or anything like that, any priors whatsoever. But I remember the judge asking, you know, state your name, raise your hand, oath or whatever, tell the truth, whatever. Like, where do you live? Abu Dhabi. Where? United Arab Emirates. Like, oh, you don't live here in the States. No, I used to live here, but I am now employed in UAE. Like, are you military? No. I'm thinking in my head, why would you think I'm military 
Is it because I don't live in this country? Do you ask everyone if they're military yeah. when they're standing in front of you telling you where they live? Yeah. You know, it, the car wasn't even mine. <laughs> I don't understand why. I don't understand the judicial system anyway. I've never really understood the judicial system in the United States. But after all that, to just have to pay a fine, it just seems like it was a, a another hoop that kind of solidified the fact that I really didn't need to be there in the United States. A variety of the situations that I, I describe are just constant hoops that you have to yeah. jump through. Yeah. And I don't see others having to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's discouraging and... It hurts because you do everything that you're supposed to do. I mean, I remember very clearly my grandparents, my mom, my dad, get your education, get your education. Yeah, you're yeah, constantly yeah. told that if you get your education, you will be free of the racism, the yeah, discrimination, the, the prejudice. Up. Right. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, as I said before, nobody knows how many degrees I have. No one recognizes. I actually have two masters, you know, <laughs> and it means absolutely nothing because the first thing anyone is going to see is this black skin, mm -hmm. this beard, this bald head, and the car I'm driving or where I'm walking. And it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's been that way ever since I was in the United States. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I'm starting to notice that when I am quiet like this, it's because I'm very in tune to the story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like trying my hardest not to interrupt you. It's interesting to me because, and, and, and before we end the episode, I do mm -hmm. want to hear a little bit more about how you're you know, thinking about your six months here mm -hmm. in comparison to what happened to you in the States before you got here. But one of the reasons why I was interested in talking to you is because of the Facebook post that you put up, uh, basically talking about this story. Mm -hmm. And the story was all connected to a ticket based on a court date. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those things where, like you're saying, time and space, you're looking at, you know, a plethora of cases that have this whole, you know, basis of mistrust with police and the ways that the, the judicial system have a way of just completely messing up black folks across right. the board. And I think it's interesting in your situation because that could have happened five years before this position came about. That could have happened the, in the beginning of the school year mm -hmm. <laughs> before this position came about. But this literally happened around the time that you were getting ready to transition to something new to escape <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's it I, I i'm i'm imagining how you know one of the themes that have con continued to come up is this notion of safety right i left the states because i feel more safe being abroad mm -hmm. and not that you know ahead of time it's you know once your feet are in that other space right but in your case, you still had to go back to the States for something that was unfinished, knowing that if you just left it there, if I go back, you know, there could be a warrant waiting on me. Yeah. You know, you're being proactive about making sure that your record is clean and, you know, you're taking care of the business and everything. But I'm just like, it, it's like the ways that the only word that comes to my mind is diaspora. But the ways that, you know, what you're experiencing in the States, how it somehow followed you here. Yeah. Which basically puts you in a trap to have to go back. Right. And now your narrative about how you actually see the states as a whole and then maybe, you know, what your plans for the future of your career in education is. Well at this time I I I'm very, very happy here. I'm finally treated like an American. Being here they don't see me as a black man. Yeah. They see me as an American. In the other countries that I've been fortunate to go to since I've lived over here or since I moved over here, they too, I mean, the power of the blue passport is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's a level of privilege that I've never had before. I'm more American outside of the United States than I am inside of the United States. And that's something that every waking day I'm actually show gratitude and I'm gracious about because 
I only want to be treated like anyone else. Yeah. I only want to be treated fairly. I want to be treated based on who I am as a person, not what the color of my skin is. I want you to treat me based on who I am. You know, you show me respect, I show you respect and vice versa. I'm not, you know, the TV or the United States TV version of a black male in the 80s. You know, there's no drugs, there's no poverty, there's nothing but education. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing but a will to learn, a will to live that American dream, life, liberty, and prosperity, happiness, you know? Um, and I get that more outside of the United States than I get it in. And because of that, at this time, I do not see myself going back. And if I go back, it is truly just a visit. It is truly knowing that I have money in my account to leave immediately if I feel so. <laughs> um, in fact, I'm, you know, since I've been out here, I've been trying to get more of my friends in education and outside of education to come out. You yeah. know, not it doesn't have to be here. I just want them to leave the States because it's so freeing being here. It's so freeing to the point that I am able to develop and think of things that I didn't have the bandwidth to do back home. Like I'm learning how to play chess. Yeah. I'm able to sit down and read. I'm up to like five books already and yeah, it's yeah. it's March. You, you know. can just be here. I can just be. I can walk around at any time of the day or night and no one's going to question me. I can wear a hood and eat Skittles <laughs> and not worry about there being any problems. I can drive a car and no one's going to question whose car it is or where am I coming from. I don't fit the description of anybody yeah, yeah. who you know, has done anything. In fact, it's so funny being out here because I can count on my hand how many times I've seen police as a whole within the entire country. Wait, don't say the entire country. The entire country. Abu Dhabi. The entire country. I've been to Dubai. I've been to some of the other Emirates. I don't see police officers, but best believe it causes trauma when I've gone back home and yeah, I hear yeah. a siren. Yeah. yeah. Because that's yeah. like a, it's yeah. like the, it's not even white noise. It's the soundtrack of the United States for a black man. Uh, Here, uh. it's not, you know, I'm hearing birds. I'm hearing the wind blow. I'm hearing the waves. It's it's totally different. So I would, yeah. stepping back is stepping back into a place of trauma, is stepping back into an environment of discomfort. And it was evident when I went home during winter break, not only for the case, but to spend time with my family, it was like, I wasn't really going out. Yeah. You yeah. know, typically when I'm on vacation, I'm like, oh, let's hang out here. Let's do this. Let's do that. No, I'm good staying home. Until it's time to go Until back to the airport. Until it's time to go. Hey, <laughs> we could go to the airport three hours early. I'll chill in the airport because I feel safer there because I know I'm going to a place where it'll be okay. So this has been a wonderful experience. I'm happy here. I'm at peace and freedom, the main elements of what the United States is supposed to be about. Yeah. But they weren't that for me as a black man. Brian, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with Abroad in Education. My pleasure. Abroad in Education is created by Tiffany Lachelle Smith. Lady Justice, the music that you're listening to, was written and produced by Rillionaire Dream. You can get his postcards album on SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let's keep the conversation going and search Abroad in Education on Facebook to join the private group, The Ed Pet Lounge. Follow me on Instagram at abroad underscore in underscore ed. And you can also access the website at abroadineducation.com. <laughs>